got to talk a little bit quietly today because uh, my son is asleep upstairs. Um, and uh, anyway, to the topic. So today we are diving into alternative meat um, in general. Now, the reason that we are going to talk about alternative meat in general is because I want to kind of cover off uh, something I've been reading into in just terms of understanding the space as a whole. Uh, it's not going to be a deep dive into the topic. Uh, this is like a shallow dive. Um, right now, I'm just kind of getting my head around the cultivated meat space. And, uh, I'm, you know, when it comes to cultivated meat, alternative proteins, um, biology in general, uh, I'm a bit of a basic bitch. Um, so this is kind of basic bitch 101 uh, stuff with cultivated meat, very kind of surface level stuff. Um, but uh, that's what it's about. That's what the stage I am in entering this industry. Uh, so that's why I'm making this content in this way. And to be honest, if you've clicked on this uh, podcast or this video um, based on the title, uh, you're probably a bit of a basic bitch as well when it comes to this subject. So hopefully it's going to be uh, useful for you as well. So let's jump into it. What I want to uh, talk about today is the types or the categories uh, we use when working out, when you're looking at an alternative protein. But yeah, like what category it falls under. Um, and I find that there's lots of different uh, categories options out there, um, products out there. So if you can create some general ways of categorizing these products um, and these technologies, that makes it a little bit easier to then go in and go deeper into how each specific thing works and the pros and cons and all of that um, kind of thing. So first and foremost, before we get into the different types of alternative uh, proteins that we've got out there, I think it's important to define what we are looking uh what we're defining as an alternative to if that makes sense i don't know how to explain that but if we're looking at an alternative um what is it an alternative to that we are actually wanting to describe uh, i know i'm not doing a very good job at, at this but um this point sorry but this is literally the first time i'm hitting record to talk about this subject um so in terms of what we're looking at an alternative from, essentially the baseline is a slaughtered animal. So in the context of meat, it's an animal that is raised. Um, actually, it's not just the context of meat because it's also dairy products and things like that. But essentially the baseline is an animal that is raised, um, bred, uh, given food and water and all of that kind of stuff to be grown and then killed um, and then we cut its flesh and eat it um, or in some cases uh, you know we keep the animal alive take uh, milk and things from it and then kill it at the end once it's no longer producing um, these products for us so that's like our baseline this is an animal that has skin fur um, organs it's sentient all of that kind of stuff so everything else comes under the category of alternative protein when we're looking at um, trying to uh, extract it or get protein into our diet. If it's not coming from um, a slaughtered animal, uh, it would be classed as an alternative protein in this context anyway. In terms of alternative proteins, um, 
I would like to categorize the options uh, in two categories. Now, I am aware, and um, I think a lot of propeller heads that are watching this video will, will say, oh, no, you know, uh, the Good Food Institute says there's three. Uh, and that's probably right, to be fair. Um, but to also be fair, this video is not aimed at you if you know that. So it doesn't really matter too much about what you think. Um, what I have found when trying to understand um, the the space is actually just looking at two categories first and I will get to that third category in this video as well but just looking at two categories first is actually been a lot easier to just get my head around things so the two categories sorry the two categories that I consider um, when looking at this is you've got plant-based meat and then you've got cultivated meat or cultured or lab-grown meat uh, or any of the other kind of names that people call it so let's start off with plant-based meat because I think generally speaking that's the easiest for people to understand um, you know some people have tasted it they've seen it on the shelves and stuff like that so plant-based meat is essentially kind of what it says on the tin it's um, products that are, are meat products or food products that are derived completely from plants um, so no animal products can, are contained within them now um, on a very basic level, you can look at things like um, lentils, um, tofu, uh, things like that as a classification of plant-based meat. These are products that, um, you know, if prepared in the right way, uh, can somewhat resemble the look, the feel, the texture of um, meat. Uh, and it kind of depends on who you ask, how close or far it actually resembles that food but generally things like that so tofu um, and, and lentils are very uh, basic in the sense that they haven't been processed a huge amount um, you know tofu is, is, is a very easily um, simply processed uh, uh, product of soy um, but also basic in the sense that these things have been around for a long, long time. Uh, you know, brown people have been eating this stuff for thousands of years. Um, it's nothing new, really. And I think in this context, things like lentils and soy don't really come into the conversation. Um, you know, as I said, Asian people and like soy boys uh, are the only people that are eating these types of foods and they're not really making significant leeway in replacing meat from a slaughtered animal. So I kind of wouldn't really consider it in this dialogue as an alternative plant-based meat. Usually when you hear the term plant-based meat in, in the kind of conversation about replacements to meat from a slaughtered animal, um, Plant-based meat is more referring to the more processed stuff, um, like your Impossible Burger and or um, sorry, Impossible Meat or Impossible Burger, those kind of things, um, the mock meat type stuff. Again, these are all made from plant-based materials, um, but they're a little bit closer to the taste of uh, meat from a slaughtered animal, and um, to be honest, they they include a lot more processing in to to get that way. The way these products are made, they're usually made up from three key uh, ingredients or grains. So you've got um, pea, um, rice, uh, sorry, not rice, uh, pea, soy and wheat, I think it is. That is usually most um, 
most of these products come from as like a base ingredient. Um, and then basically what they do is they're throwing a load of other crap in there, not necessarily crap, but other ingredients, other bits and pieces um, to make it cook a certain way, smell a certain way, form a certain way, you know, feel a certain way in your tongue when you eat it. Um, and usually most of these products are formed in, in, in kind of patties or sausages or something like that. Um, and you can you can find these in most shelves of countries in Europe, um, the US, um, Australia, places like that. If you walk into most medium-sized supermarkets, uh, you'll now find a vegan section with these products. So that is your first category of um, alternative proteins. And the second one is cultivated meat. Now, cultivated meat is different from plant-based meat in that it actually uh, does contain animal products in this form of the cells of an animal. It's different to uh, real meat, people will call, or, or, or meat from a slaughtered animal, in that it is not grown as part of a sentient being. It's not grown as part of a cow. There's no, um, you know feathers, hooves, um, organs, bones, anything like that, that is produced as part of the process. It's literally just usually the flesh, the muscle, um, and uh, the fat um, from the animal that's grown from a cell. Um, so it has the same cellular properties as the, the meat from a slaughtered animal, but it's not made in that same way. Usually um, it's grown in some sort of building, uh, when it started off, it was grown in a lab, which was why it kind of got its name, lab-grown meat. Now, as people are trying to scale it more and more, it's grown in, in kind of factories, warehouses, buildings, bioreactors, that kind of thing. So think of like a, um, yeah, like a factory of where it's made. And you could argue that actually factory farms are literally where they're, they're, they're producing animals in a farm as well. So it's not that different, but you, you can probably grasp that it's very, very different from what we've been doing for hundreds, if not thousands of years in terms of like raising animals um, and then killing them and then eating them. The way um, the cultivated meat process works is in, in a nutshell, they're taking a the cell from an animal. Um, it's usually done, I believe, in a way now where they're not actually like killing the animal. Um, they're just taking a biopsy from it um, and then they're putting it in some liquid um, and in a container. Now, it depends on who you ask and what company you uh, are looking at. But um, some of those companies are using, um, I think they're doing some, some stuff like uh, injecting, um, injecting into like an unborn cow to get this serum. Um, I think some companies are using other products, but essentially there's a very fancy liquid. Some would argue, depending on who you, you're talking about, that it's not vegan, it's not plant-based. Um, and some would argue that it is, you know, this, these other kind of more... Um, modern serums that they're using are uh, are not derived from animals but either way you've got the cells you put them in this liquid you put them in this container you're playing around with the contents of the liquid and the conditions of the container to make these cells 
to be in an environment where they multiply. So one cell becomes two cells, two cells become four cells, that kind of thing, and they're getting bigger and bigger until they get to the scale where they can then be processed, um, shaped, um, you know, other things thrown into them where they start to resemble the taste and the look of um, a piece of flesh that you would get from an animal. Um, obviously, I'm super, super simplifying this process, but that's the whole point of this um, this this audio of this video is to just show you in a nutshell what it's all about. Similar to the plant-based meats, the, the the things that are kind of coming out now are more of the kind of patty type things, which are easier to make, um, and the things that people are really kind of pushing for more in the future is how you can make things that look like steaks or chicken breasts, you know, products that more closely resemble the actual um, flesh from an animal. So those are the two ways that we 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 categorize, or I would categorize the kind of main players, main producers in the um, alternative meat space. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the video, um, there is this third category that the Good Food Institute, which I, I, um, uh, I use to kind of get this knowledge, also categorize fermentation as a key category when it comes to um, alternative proteins. Now, I, having like read a little bit more about it, I see fermentation as a kind of um, more of a support system to the other two. So in some cases, you can use... Actually, let me take a step back. Let me firstly explain what fermentation is. Again, the idiot's version of fermentation. What you do is you take an ingredient, a base ingredient, let's say in this example, flour and water, and then you add what's called a microorganism. So microorganisms, kind of like what it sounds, it's small organisms that um, you can't see. So that's why they're micro, you have to see them in a, in a microscope. The most common example of these microorganisms used for fermentation uh, are different types of bacteria. Another common one is yeast, which is a type of fungi, but doesn't really matter too much for this. But in this example, let's take yeast as an example of a microorganism. We're basically throwing it in with the flour and water. And when we put it in the right conditions, so usually warm, um, you know, dark conditions, it triggers those base ingredients to change. And that process is called fermentation. So they can change in terms of shape. They can change in terms of uh, their own properties. And also they can create new chemical ingredients. Um, so it's a way for us to actually um, trigger uh, a process to create different types of, uh, as I said, ingredients or different types of things from base ingredients that we don't have or properties of from base ingredients that we can't get from them alone. Um, now, going back to the relevance to cultivated meat and alternative proteins, there is some cases where we can use fermentation as a standalone process to produce what's called like biomass, which is just some form of thing that we can actually eat. 
as an, as a process in itself. And the most common one that most of you have probably heard of is corn. Um, so corn have used, I think it's called my, microprotein or something, which is a process, a fermentation process where they're actually able to produce something that they can then throw with breadcrumbs and all this other flavoring to make taste like a chicken nugget or something like that. So there is a fraction of um, the fermentation process that creates a type of alternative protein, which would then classify it as a third category. But I think the more significant side of fermentation and why it's even relevant in this conversation of alternative proteins is more as a facilitator to improve the um, the products that you can create either from plant-based meats um, or cultivated meats. So as an example with plant-based meat, um, you have uh, Impossible who are using fermentation to extract heme, um, which is the, the stuff that basically makes these Impossible burgers um, all bloody when you cook them and that kind of metallic taste when you eat them, which you get when you eat meat. They're using fermentation to extract that ingredient to add it to their plant-based meat, which is based from pea, I believe, or, or something like that, um, to give it those extra properties, that extra oomph um, that you're not able to get just purely from plant-based ingredients. And the other side of things is um, when you use it to create cheaper ingredients. Um, so from a cultivated meat point of view, this is very common to use. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the video about the kind of liquid they're throwing in the cells in order to facilitate the, um, the cells to duplicate. Fermentation can actually, is actually the technology that's used to replace um, the need to use, uh, I think it's th these cows where they're injecting some, some serum from the cows in order to make these cells duplicate. They've, they've, they've worked out um, a fermentation process that allows you to do this for cheaper and obviously in a way that doesn't require animals. So that's an example of where you can use a fermentation in cultivated meat. Uh, in both examples, there's also uh, industry, sorry, companies that are uh, using fermentation in order to adapt the taste so you can sometimes use fermentation to remove certain tastes that you get from let's say soy or something like that um, so basically it's kind of like I look at it as like a little bit of a tool belt fermentation um, for you to to kind of jump in on a plant-based meat solution or a cultivated meat solution to just tweak it and make it better cheaper quicker to make more scalable that kind of thing I think the very, very last thing that I just want to kind of wrap this up with is a conversation about hybrids. So I thought this is interesting because more and more what you're seeing, similar to how people are using fermentation to get better output from their plant-based meat or their cultivated meat, is that you're also seeing people using a hybrid of plant-based solutions and cultivated meat. As we all know, cultivated meat is quite an expensive thing to produce, and that's one of the biggest challenges right now, is how do you get that cost down to make it compete with meat from a slaughtered animal? One of the ways to do that is actually to just use what you need in terms of replicating 
kind of meat-based properties, but then throwing a load of cheaper um, plant-based stuff in there to bring that total cost down. So something that really stood out to me, I think, in, in something I read with, I think it was with Good Food Institute, that, that I think they actually pound this into you quite a lot, is that right now it seems like it's very categorised, you know, you either do this or you produce this or you do this, but as the industry develops and, and kind of they work out solutions that work and people start buying these products, you're more likely to see common places like hybrids, which is just a mix of all of the technologies and you just have this slab of alternative protein, essentially, and not necessarily a slab of cultivated meat or a slab of um, plant-based meat. Right, so that's everything that I wanted to cover off today. I really, really hope that it's been useful to you. It's been useful to me just to learn it in order to have to present it. And again, that's part of uh, the reason that I even do this um, because it facilitates my own personal learning. 